Our reading today is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 23. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, God, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may today give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to be the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 31. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they ex exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone. 
one who begs from you, from one who takes away your goods, do not demand, demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. This too is the word of the Lord. Friends, I know more than one of us have had a whirlwind of a morning trying to get ready to be here today. And so let's just take a moment to take a deep breath and to spend a few moments in silence as we prepare our hearts and we shake off the broken ceiling tiles and the traffic and the lost keys and we center ourselves on the word of God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. This morning, we celebrate All Saints Sunday, on which we remember our connection to one another and to all Christians across time and space, not just the saints in this room worshiping together this morning, but all the saints that have worshipped in this room throughout the years, um, all of the saints that ha are worshipping all across our city and our country and our world this morning, all of the saints who have gone by and all of the saints who are yet to come. We are all connected across time and space. It can be easy to become discouraged by dwindling numbers in churches around our country or to reflect with an unhealthy dose of nostalgia on how things used to be and to wish the saints gone by back into our midst. It can be easy to sit in our comfort and not worry about anyone outside these walls, to focus on keeping ourselves comfortable, but we forget too easily the fact that it's not just about those sitting in this congregation this morning worshiping together. One of the commentaries I read about this passage shares a great story. The Canadian preacher John Gladstone tells the story of a young English clergyman who served a small congregation. It was his custom at evening services to administer the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to any parishioners who remained at the conclusion of the service. One night, so few stayed that he questioned whether the sacrament should be observed, but he decided to proceed. In the midst of the liturgy, he read part of the great prayer that says, Therefore, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify thy glorious name. He read it again. With angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Then he prayed, God, forgive me, I did not realize I was in such company. Regardless of how many of us are sitting here this morning, Christ's glory is proclaimed. We do not have a monopoly on praising the Lord. We do not have a monopoly on God's protection and promises 
And we are here for a much larger purpose than our own comfort and tradition. According to New Testament language, all Christians are considered saints. Some traditions specifically call out particular individuals as saint so-and-so, but in ours, all are saints. And all saints are connected to one another through God, which means when a black church in Mississippi burns at the hands of, of racism and inequity, we are called to weep and cry out with them. When the country is angry and fearful and divided by contentious elections and political situations, we are to champion unity and love. When any other saint is hurting or struggling, we are to offer them all we have to help them back up again. When someone says something terrible to us, we are to respond in loving words and kindness. One of my favorite saints who has passed on to the other side of creation is St. Joe of the North Side. He died somewhere in the neighborhood of 2016, if I remember correctly. And everyone at our home church mourned the loss of gentle Joe. At first look, many people would cross the street to avoid him. He had two long, wild braids of hair on his head and an out-of-control beard. He rarely showered, if ever, and he wore ragged clothes held up by a rope belt. And he could be seen walking all over the north side of Pittsburgh, and many people knew him to see him. He was often referred to as Crazy Joe or Wild Joe. He was one of those Pittsburgh legends in our neighborhood. But every Sunday morning at 11 a.m., he was at church. He sat in the back, often alone, because he knew how people looked at him. And sure, he had some problems. But when it came down to it, Joe had a heart of gold. One time he spotted our pastor from across Market Square on a Saturday morning and he rushed up to him with a shoebox. He had in the shoebox an injured pigeon that he had found and he begged the pastor to take this home for his wife to care for because Joe knew he himself couldn't make it well again. I don't actually remember how the story ended, to be honest. I'm pretty sure that the pigeon did not go home with the pastor that day. But I also know that Joe's heart of gold shone in that moment. One Christmas Eve when my daughter Gloria was no more than three or four, she decided to sit in the back of the sanctuary on the floor with Joe, chatting with him, worshiping together. And it was one of the holiest things I've ever witnessed. Anyone who gave Joe the time to listen knew what a gentle, loving soul he was. Anyone who stopped judging him by his wild appearance knew that he loved God with all his heart. He had some serious problems in his life, but he sought God with all that he had to offer. You see, you never truly know who the saints are. On All Saints Sunday, we celebrate our connection to other Christians across time and space because division and isolation are counter to the gospel. Judgment and putting people into categories is counter to the gospel. 
You never know if the saints will look like Teresa or Martin Luther King Jr. or if they'll look like Joe. So today we celebrate how wonderful and diverse and dangerous and uncomfortable and surprising this unity to one another can be. When we think about the Beatitudes, when we read the Beatitudes, when we cross-stitch them on a pillow, we generally look at the words from the Gospel according to Matthew. But here in Luke, we see a similar trend to the Beatitudes in Matthew. Jesus looks at the unjust way the world around him is working. He finds the places in which the world has settled into a pattern that is counter to the gospel, to the ways of God's kingdom, and then he turns them on their heads. He tells us in no uncertain terms that we have no right to judge who's in and who's out. Who will receive the kingdom of God? The poor. Who will receive ultimate satisfaction? Those who are hungry now. Who receives the gift of laughter for eternity? Those who suffer sorrow now. Those who are hated and bullied and treated poorly and pushed to the margins and looked at with suspicion and disgust are the very ones who will be more richly blessed than we can imagine. These are uncomfortable words for those of us who have what we need, who are well-fed, who laugh more than we cry, and who are well-liked and supported and part of the religious majority in our homeland. We can almost put this off as just being comfort for those having a hard time. Maybe Jesus is just trying to make some people feel better through their sorrow. But just when we're beginning to squirm in our seats and make excuses, Jesus dials up the heat a little bit more. Those of you who have what you need now and are sitting content in your comfort, those who have plenty to eat and much to laugh about, enjoy it while you have it because it has an expiration date. Popular now? Watch out. Because those who sell their souls to the false gods of power and popularity like the false prophets of old did, have nothing waiting for them when their time here runs out. And if that doesn't feel like a punch in the gut, you might need to read it again later in your alone time with God, because Jesus meant this to be quite uncomfortable. We have no way of knowing who is chosen by God, and therefore we must treat all people as though they are or will one day be united to us in Christ. All people are beloved by God. When others are poor or hungry or full of sorrow, we cannot ignore them. They are a beloved part of God's kingdom. We are to reach out to them, even if we don't like them. Revenge, not in God's kingdom. Taking back from those we perceive to have slighted us, not if you're going to take Jesus' words seriously. He's not talking in metaphor or hyperbole here. Now, Jesus does frequently speak in confusing metaphors and parables, but that is not what's happening here. He is being very direct. Love your enemies. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to the, uh, the other one to them as well. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to those who ask, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would like for others to do to you. And let's face it, we all do a pretty lousy job of that most of the time because it is not easy to do. Nobody wants to feel taken advantage of. Nobody wants to feel like human justice hasn't been served. Nobody just naturally wants to give up hard-earned assets to someone else. All of us want to feel like the people around us like us. But the homeless man ignored on the side of the road by Christian and atheist alike is blessed, is considered by God, is not forgotten by the very maker of the universe. Even though we walk on past, perhaps shake our heads in disgust, or try not to make eye contact, or assume we know why he's sitting there on the side of the road, the earthquake or typhoon victims on the other side of the planet who we say we'll pray for but leave to fend for themselves, they are blessed, considered by God, are not forgotten by the very maker of the universe. Even though we carry on our safe, comfortable lives with barely a tear, with a tisk-tisk at what a shame it is that they are lacking in food while we gather around overstuffed tables and throw away entire meals worth of leftovers. There is no if they look like Christians in this passage. No, love your Christian enemies, just love your enemies. He doesn't say, don't hit other Christians back when they hurt you. Just don't seek revenge. Ever. Give generously and even ridiculously, not just to other Christians, but to all those in need. We are to love everyone as God loves everyone. And yes, that is dangerous and ridiculous and really, really, really hard to do. And it is completely backwards to what the world says we're supposed to be acting like. Because our inclusion in God's kingdom is not dependent on doing all the right things, we cannot assume we can look at a person and judge how worthy they are or how saved they are. You cannot know what God has planned for them. You cannot truly know what is in their heart or what will one day be in their heart. I find it appropriate that this passage generally shows up in the lectionary right around an election, the most divisive an ununified time of year. Even the church in our country has bought into the mean divisiveness of American politics. I am deeply troubled by the division that it has caused in Christian communities because that is not what we are called to. We do not have to all agree to worship together. We do not all have to like the outcomes this week. What we do have to do is continue to love one another and continue to do God's work of compassion and love and justice in the world. 
We have to continue to love one another, share generously, stand up for the justice and fair treatment of all people, welcome the stranger, turn the other cheek, and treat others how we ourselves would like to be treated. It is a shame, and I don't use the word shame lightly here, that so many things the gospel talks about have been politicized in the ways that they have. Things like welcoming strangers to the point where churches are afraid to follow that very basic command from scripture, lest one side or the other get angry with them. It is shameful that caring for the poor and working toward greater diversity and inclusion have become so charged that churches are afraid to really engage in either of those. I believe that all who are eligible should vote on Tuesday. So thank you for the shout out earlier, reminding folks to get to the polls on Tuesday. And no, this is not a big, exciting presidential election, but these smaller ones tend to have far more impact on actual law and function and on our community. But we shouldn't just go in to vote whatever the party we have decided is the Christian party has told us the Christian thing to do is because those politicians are not Jesus. They are not theologians. They are not church leaders. A good number of them aren't even listening to theologians and church leaders and showing up at church on Sunday morning. And so I encourage each of you this week to read this passage from Luke a few times. and Read up on what people are doing out there. Does their walk match their talk? Who stands up best for the compassion that Jesus is calling for in this passage? And regardless of what happens this week in the elections, let us all remember that what we are really here for. Let us continue to remember to love one another, not just those in this room, but all those we come into contact with. Because we don't know who the saints are. We don't know who the saints will be. And let us continue God's mission of love and unity and acceptance in the world, lest we miss out on the holy moments with saints like Joe. Amen.